Good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laron Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guests today are Portia Cantrell and Marion Hayes. Portia is the director, creator of Silver Pride Project, and she's also the District 2 Senior Affairs Commissioner. Um, Marion is her best friend and older than Portia, is how Portia <laughs> described you, Marion. Um, before we get to senior issues that we're going to be talking about today, what was the best television program to watch this weekend? The Texas House. I put it on the big screen TV. We don't have a big screen. We just have a normal size screen, but um, not on my phone. On the TV, and I watched it from start to finish, the impeachment of Ken Paxton, former Attorney General of the state of Texas and criminal you know, I love the 20 charges that he was brought up on. I've never seen an impeachment with 20 charges before. Uh, not that impeachments are that common, but the main uh, topics were accepting a bribe, firing the employees who turned you in for accepting a bribe, and then expecting Texans to pay $3 million to the employees who were fired for turning you in for Accepting and and you settled with, but wouldn't say anything about what the terms were <laughs> or what happened in the lawsuit. Now, what I loved about this lawsuit or, or about the impeachment trial was the Paxton side didn't try to defend any of this. They were going after procedure. Absolutely. And my, one of my favorite moments was the vice chair of the, of the General Investigative Committee, um, our community's own Ann Johnson mm -hmm. and what uh, uh, she was one of the impeachment managers and she laid out the case um, and I was so proud of her you know one of our, our um, LGBTQ caucus members um, in the Texas House now and she was she was really very brilliant um, laying it out very clearly what each charge meant and what it entailed and I loved that um, they they pushed back so hard on the procedures, and then the vote was stunning. It was 121 to 23. That, that was the most surprising thing for me. I had no I, I thought it was going to be razor-thin close. I, I thought um, it was not even close. Republicans are actually d d doing this? Yeah, I, I was kind of like at a loss for words. And if you remember, just a few weeks ago, they threw out um, Representative Slayton for having sex with his intern. Intern, yep. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So there is there is a there's hope at the end of the rainbow. You so know what I liked about it more than anything? <laughs> that Republicans and Democrats worked together. That committee, it was two Democrats, three Republicans, and they really worked together uh and came up with <laughs> good charges. But you know, you can also you know, look what it took to to even get here. He's, you know, this has been going on for years with Ken Paxton. This He's been indicted since it, before he went into exactly, office. Exactly, you know, exactly. all new charges. But, but you're missing my point. Why did it take so long for us to even did, to, for, to get this point? He should have been gone a long time ago. Yeah, well, they, I would have thought the voters would throw him out. But no, that's not how it works in Texas. No, exactly. That's why I'm surprised that the Republicans finally were like, woke up and like, okay, we got to get this guy out of here. Well, the, and we'll, we're going to see his wife is a state senator from Plano. Mm -hmm. 
and um, they've been saying, you know, of course you're going to be recusing yourself from the Senate trial, but she has not yet. I thought she's automatically recused. I, I hope under that's state the case law. because uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if she tried to horn in there and and be part of the process to. I mean, it would a whole new Clarence Thomas thing, you know. Right. You know, be vote in when your wife is directly involved. <laughs> so when is wife directly? You know, wife votes when husband's directly right, involved. Right. So when is the Senate vote? They um, haven't said. That, yeah, they haven't said. But the other thing that it does is it pushes out. For example, they have a, a limited calendar. It's it's sine die on Monday. Mm-hmm. It's tomorrow. It's over tomorrow for this for the session. And um, a bill working its way through um, that we've um, infamously and affectionately called Don't Say Gay is sitting on a table right now. So because they consumed pretty much the entire day yesterday with the impeachment. So I'm like, okay. The Senate can just call itself into session. They don't have to wait for the governor to call uh, to do an impeachment trial. So... I'm assuming it'll be within the next couple of weeks. I certainly hope so. Yeah. It's um they've it's it's in their lap now and for them to delay just seems stupid. Mhm. Okay, so maybe but Tuesday. That, <laughs> <laughs> but that they wrap was, up the session tomorrow and then they just do it Tuesday. Um historically the other two impeachments that have gone through the legislature it's been about 3 weeks to give the defense time to come up with its case and you would hope that his case is something more than uh the the procedure's illegal anyway we couldn't uh start the show without mentioning so and another piece of interesting news is we have a apparently have a debt ceiling deal so we'll see what the the devil's in the details as they always are oh i hadn't heard yeah there's a there's a deal Mm. so um, we'll we'll see what happens, but um, let's you know, it would be great to avoid you know catastrophic collapse of our economy. Yes, it would. <laughs> so, um, our guests today are Portia Cantrell and Marion Hayes. Uh, Portia, what is your title with Silver Pride? Um, CEO. Yeah, that'll work. Okay. <laughs> but you're also that. the District 2 Senior Affairs Commissioner. Does your wife object to you having senior affairs? Um, no, she doesn't because she figures that'll keep me busy, and as long as it's not anything physical, she's good with it. Uh. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> what is a Senior Affairs Commissioner for people who don't know? Um, The Senior Affairs Commission here in Dallas is a group of each councilman appoints someone over the age of, I think, 60 to represent the seniors in their district, to represent their interests, and to vote on and prioritize um, spending, um, address issues that are senior-related, and just to make sure to give those seniors in their particular district a voice. Now, I want to add, though, that of the 15 senior affairs commissioners, I'm the only gay commissioner. So in addition to District 2, which is my district, 
I am also giving voice to every LGBTQ senior in the city of Dallas because far too often our voices are not heard and our issues are not addressed. And I'll be darned if I let this go another year without attention being made to our community. Amen. And you know, some people might think, okay, you're all seniors. What is the difference? What, 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 does LGBTQ seniors have different uh, issues than the general public seniors? Most definitely. For one thing, the, the biggest thing is historically, members of our community who are above a certain age were never allowed or didn't feel free to be who they were. So they've been kind of in the, in the background, on the down low. So there are things that affect us that other seniors don't have to deal with. Typically, we held lower paying jobs because we took the jobs that we were able to get and still have some a life for ourselves. We didn't have the big high paying jobs. And also we didn't have children for the most part. So we don't have now anybody who's gonna come around and say, hey Mike, you need a light bulb change, or you want me to go to the doctor with you, or you need me to take you grocery shopping, things like that. In addition to that, there are also instances where, and I'm speaking about this because I was just recently in the hospital, and my wife stayed with me every single minute because everybody knows you need to have somebody looking out for you when you're in the hospital and you can't speak for yourself. But if you're somebody like my girl Mary in here, who do you have that's going to be able to do that with you and for you? Which is another reason I wanted her to come on today so that she can speak to some of these things that may not affect me because I do have children and I do have a spouse who looks out for me. So, uh, so what's the, what's our status then? Um, as a community and and through your voice and I, I just want to know you're the only openly gay person well, yeah I'll put it that way <laughs> openly <laughs> out openly. there saying so um, it, I'm sure there are lots of other folks at City Hall who are LGBTQ and who serve on on commissions and such but I really appreciate your vocal um, your firm vocal voice on behalf of seniors because I, I I'm a senior now I'm over 60. I had to stop saying, I'm, you know, I just turned 60. Aaron goes, you got to stop saying that because you're about to turn 61. <laughs> I'm about to turn and now 49. now I am 61. Do I? I'm about to turn 49. Are you? Mm -hmm. right, again. You've been saying that ever since I've known you, and that's 10 years. <laughs> yeah, so why should it change? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but what, is, what is, what kinds of things would be funded by recommendations from the Senior Affairs Commission. What kinds of what kinds of things can are are is the commission empowered to to get authorized for payment in the budget? That's a good question. And that is something that we are right now trying to it's created a lot of um, a lot of arguing 
in our commission meetings, which I want to remind people that you should go on the City of Dallas website and look at some of the recordings of some of these meetings, and it will surprise you. But anyway, getting back to your question. And that's Dallas, um, DallasCityHall.com. A lot of people feel that we're a commission that has no power. But our power is in our voice. And our power is we're representing our city councilmen. And they have the power. So when I say, when I go to my, my councilman or a couple of other councilmen who at this point will remain nameless, um, and I say, you know, we need an LGBTQ senior liaison who can make sure that all of these programs that you you all have set for seniors this information gets out to our community when you have these things like the housing repair and oh it's a ton of a crap load they'll of things. build a ramp on in your yeah. In you know, yard. we don't know that because we don't get that information because nobody gives us that information. And I'm one voice. I'm one person. And even though I might have 500 Facebook friends, not all of them are gay. And so when I post something, only people who get it are the people who are following me. And so we need to make sure that we have somebody who can communicate with Resource Center, with Coalition for Aging, with Abounding Prosperity, and with the eons of little small LGBTQ organizations who may not even have seniors that are actively working with them, but they can help get this information out to the community. In addition to having a senior liaison, and I, when I say senior, I don't mean one that's a senior. I mean one that the city is paying to make sure that there is no divide, that everyone gets the same information. So in addition to that, I firmly believe we need an LGBTQ senior center, a center where we can come together you and I and you and everybody else who's a senior can meet, relax, talk about shared interests, can talk about the good old days if we want to, where we can have a meal that's funded like some of these other centers are, have meals provided to them, where we can have programming and activity, where we can have information that's made available to us about not just gay and trans issues, but all issues. Some place where we can go that's not some place that I might not want to go to. Heck, I might not want to go to Resource Center. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I don't, Cece. I'm just saying. I'm just using you as an example. I may not want to go. Some of the people in South Dallas don't even know about Resource Center. You know, and some people in North Dallas don't know about abounding prosperity. And abounding prosperity doesn't even address senior related issues. So we need our piece of the pie, and we need it now. And we need some of these councilmen to, to stand up and speak for us. Because whether you know it or not, or admit it or not, you will be my age one day if you're lucky. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Absolutely.
Um, before the show, Mariana, you were speaking about, you know, when I talked about what are some of the different issues, and I thought you brought up a good point about being uh, afraid some some uh, some of the older or senior LGBTQ people being afraid to even call when they need help, and why? Well, my generation, and I'm talking about people, um, I'm talking about, well, I was out in 1960, I mean, before that, and I need that. Um, what I have seen, and I'm pretty much an expert on finding all these older LGBT people that own a home, that are elderly, that live out in the suburbs. And I think that's one of the largest groups that is still invisible within the gay community. They asked me, how you keep finding these people? I said, have you ever been in the pet food aisle at any grocery store the day the Social Security checks hit? Because we buy for our fur babies first. But still, I have seen this, and I heard a story not long ago. There was this elderly man. His partner had passed. He needed to call a plumber, and he needed to degay the house because there was a big painting of his and his partner up on the wall and other stuff. He was terrified to call a plumber because, look, my generation knew people that were murdered, and we faced the worst of the discrimination. The politics isn't good now, but try it back in the 50s and 60s. If I could interject, for those who don't know what degay your apartment or degay your house means, it means removing any trace or evidence or anything that would basically tell yes, a stranger someone might be come to your to house pick that, up that you're and gay. come back and and target them for some reason. Right. Remember that generation, you know, you couldn't even get a job. You couldn't be a school teacher. I remember you couldn't work at Neiman Marcus actually during yeah. the fifties. Yeah. Do we need to take a break? Uh, we do need to take a break. I, I want to tell my D gay story when we get back. Uh, and, and the term for it is you want to get rid of the frou-frou. That comes from La Cage Mm. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guests are Portia Cantrell and Marion Hayes. We're talking about LGBT senior issues this hour. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Patty Fink, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. Uh, we're talking to Portia Cantrell and Marion Hayes about senior issues. Mm-hmm. And just before the break, we were speaking with Marion about uh, one of the issues of seniors living alone and not being you know, hesitant to call people for help and in a process of degaying their place. And I was saying what, you know, for those who don't know what degaying means. And when I was, I think I was like 22, 23 years old, we had a friend who had a co-worker who was a senior, was gay, and we hung out with him for a while. And when I say senior, I think he was maybe about 55 at the time. And he and his partner, we went over to their house. They had a two-bedroom apartment. We didn't think anything of it. They shared an apartment. But when one of their parents came over, they would hide everything, pictures, um, magazines, and then one of them moved their stuff into the spare bedroom to make it appear that they were roommates. And that was the strangest thing to us. And 
that, that was my first opening to what D-Gang was. And we had to understand they come from a very different generation. Well, and, and it's I, what's fascinating to me, because I've had friends like that over the years, of mm-hmm. course. And, um, you know, that they've been roommates for 30 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they like permanence. You know, and they come to each other's family reunions. Exactly. And everybody knows them. Right. And, and, of course, you know, he or she is coming with you to the cookout we're having, right. you know. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating. And, and for lesbians, we really are stealth, like. Kate Clinton says, you know, stealth right, lesbians. Right, right. No one sees us. You know, it's like the irony of the Boston marriage. So the Boston I, marriage is supposedly yeah. two women living together forever who are gay, but nobody perceives them as gay or treats them as gay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and yet the first marriages in the country were in Boston. So Right, right. So know. I had a boyfriend in college, and uh, we were at his house, at his parents' house, uh, for I don't remember what holiday it was, and his grandfather was there, so he John introduced me. He said, um, "Grandpa, this is David, the person I live with," and his grandfather got this funny look and he said, "What are you two lesbians?" <laughs> <laughs> and after we stopped laughing, about a half an hour later, we asked him why, and why he had asked that, and he said, "Well, the way you said you live together." Yeah. So he got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's stupid. So so did you say, as a matter of fact, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, we told him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you know, it's, 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 so the interesting thing is, we've come so far in our um, our our rights. You know, now we have you know marriage equality, and you some people might think that oh, everybody's just going to be out and open now. That doesn't really change how people. Uh, grew up, what they thought, how they were, you know, the community they raised in. So, you know, you can't expect everybody to just jump with the times. Right. And I think it's really important to, when we talk about, uh, Marion, you were talking about, we, you know, we don't know who might come back and murder us. But it's not, it's not just, um, you know, the fear of death. It's fear of inferior service. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And, you know, if, for example, in a, in a really anti-LGBTQ hostile environment, do you take your car with the rainbow sticker to get it fixed? Are they really going to fix it? I mean, can you trust that, that someone who might have that level of hatred toward you? Or would, charge you more. Or charge you more. But I, I think the safety issue in things and have that plumber come over and really do a disastrous job right. or that electrician who might burn your house down. Right. Um, those are those are legitimate fears. Absolutely. That, you know, like I'll just skimp and just take advantage of this person because I, I don't think so much of them and they're not equal to everybody else. So they don't, you know, put in that quality they might for someone else. Uh, they perceive to be straight or someone they approve of. There are several lawsuits going on uh, about the care that people get in nursing homes. Um, that there's a real fear that when you are put in a nursing home or admit yourself to a nursing home, you're just not going to get good care. And by good care, I mean nobody will help feed you if that's what you need not get your medication if that's what you need 
And so what uh, a lot of gay people do is go back into the closet. Now, Marion, I wouldn't know how to do that, would you? She's shaking her head. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I mean, I came out 50 years ago. I thought you were only which, 49. Which I was just going to say, the math doesn't <laughs> quite work. <laughs> Busted. You know, um, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's a big issue, especially since we are the first out generation. You know, we did a lot of, of working towards marriage equality and a lot of AIDS activism and all of that. But we literally are the first generation to live our lives openly as gay people. And it's going to be extremely hard to stop doing that. And going into a nursing home or going into assisted living, you can't legislate away hate. People are always going to hate us or treat us badly. And that's one reason we're beginning to really push aging in place, where we can stay in our homes and as we age and network or create networks or mix with younger people. Like, I know if I have to be by myself, I can get on Messenger and call Laron and say, hey baby, can you come do this for me? Or if I have to go to the doctor or the hospital, say, can you watch Nina for me? Or something like that. We have to learn to network within our community with these younger individuals because they are our children. And another, another issue I wanna bring up is I have a friend, a young, a young friend, she's on my board, her name is Tasha Moore, and she is starting something that I think is so beautiful. She's buying houses and, and making them into something like a Golden Girls kind of thing where you have the separate bedrooms and then you have, you all live together, but you, she's a nurse. She, she owns a, a, a healthcare company. So people will check on you. There's gonna be like security cameras in, and um, uh, what do you call it? Um, well, anyway, I'll send you that information. It's, all, it's always safer to have a group of oh. four or five people living together. And background checks. Not only will the staff have background checks, but the individuals moving in there will have background checks done. Because when her wife passed from cancer a few years ago, there was nobody, no place that she felt comfortable letting her wife be. And Tasha, in addition to owning this um, healthcare agency, she does long distance trucking. It's very enterprising. But when she would be on the road, she didn't have anybody she felt could look after her wife in a way that she wanted her looked after. So she's determined now that nobody else is going to have to go through that on her watch. And I love that about her. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Continue. No, we want you to speak because this is a... Yes, is aging a in place is something that I learned the hard way. I'm an only child of an only child. I gave my mother her final wish to me. I kept her in her home all the way to her last day with hospice, and I did all that, and I learned. I wish I had known now what I have researched and learned so much in the last decade of what I had 
to do to um, arrange that. And so I have researched a lot of it, and I've been in a lot of the um, group homes, like she was talking about. Mm -hmm. I have toured a couple of them with friends that were in it's those. It's the taste of Juke. And yes, that is the new thing that is coming. A lot of businesses are even building new homes from scratch to be a group home for different things. And some of them are very nice. But to start with a home that you've already got, Yes, and we're thinking of the Golden Girls thing. We're researching that, matching people that have like interest, and maybe even putting one younger person in there that can actually drag the trash to the curb without trying to pull it with one hand and walk it home near Kane in the other hand. Hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, this is reality. So there's so many different things that we can do. I'm curious but, about aging in place. What did you have to do for your mother? Well, uh, you know, having a, a finding uh, handy people to fix the house, to maintain the house, and then at first you get uh, home health. You can get home health, and they can come in and help you, but they can still uh, be there in the house. Um, okay, you get home health first. Mm -hmm. Medicare will pay for that usually. And that the doctor and whatever can come in and check on them. They, uh, you know, do things at the house that they can be comfortable. I, uh, I literally before it was over. I, I've been in the beauty business for 60 years. So I got one of the guys I worked with uh, to get several of other of his gay friends, and we literally turned the house upside down. I turned the living room. This is a small house. Mm -hmm. I turned the living room into a nursing home with a regular hospital bed and all the, so that it would be easier for nurses to come in and stuff like that. Hmm. But it wasn't easy. You know, there was, no mm, caring there was for a, somebody is <coughs> a huge job. There was an um, a, a experiment of sorts done in some of the Scandinavian countries in recent years where they paired um, people who were aging um, alone in their homes yes. with younger people. Um, and the problem that brought it to everyone's attention was so many of these young people were students at universities where there was no housing. Mm -hmm. and in fact, a lot of the housing close to campus was occupied by older people. And they discovered a whole um, a population of single older adults living alone and they they did some matchmaking and they paired university students with uh, many of these these older folks because they would have the housing to come and go to their classes um, and save them a lot of time because they're they're nearby but what they soon discovered was that a lot of these older folks were really thriving because someone took interest in their daily lives and their daily interests. How was your day? And they would exchange those things. And younger people had a way to connect with um, a life mentor who was not their parents because what young person wants to listen to their parents? Give them wisdom. Right. <laughs> That's the last source you want to talk to when you're 21 right. is your parent. Um, but listen, hearing it from an, another person who might help them navigate a new relationship or a new job or something in their lives 
um, was very was found to be very receptive. These young people were willing to listen to someone who had was you know a lifetime of wisdom to share. And and, and think of how beautiful that would be if we had a younger LGBT person paired with a um, senior LGBT person. Aside from the person that I mentioned earlier about my Degayan story. I really didn't know many um, senior LGBT people when I was in my 20s. I just didn't. Of course, they existed, but where was I going to meet them? Where, where, would, where would I pass cross too often? And had I known somebody, they could have really gave me some really good life, valuable lessons. You just kind of, but as a young LGBT person, you're just kind of out there treading waters the best you know way, best way you know how. So you're kind of learning it alone. But I think that's a great idea. And there's someone there to change the light bulbs and haul the trash to the curb. And watch out for your pets. Yes. But um, getting back to the LGBTQ Senior Center, I think that would be the answer to a lot of issues that we have here in Dallas because it would be specifically for seniors. And that's not to say exclusively seniors. It would be an inclusive place, but if you came there, you would know you're going to run into gay people. You're going to run into trans people. So you don't have to look at us crazy the way they look at me when I walk into the uh, uh, rec center in my neighborhood. But also, you could make arrangements with the universities and the high schools where there are LGBT youth who would like to be a part of something bigger than they, them. Yes. And that's where you can meet people. And that's where you can learn. And that's where you could come for college credits and things like that. Work out some arrangement. They have something like that in, um, I think in LA, where it's not only a center, but it's a housing complex where older people and younger people live in the same thing. And it's just a win-win all the way around. That's awesome. M- mentioning LA, I was just about to ask. I know you wanted to, uh, you want some data specifically on LGBTQ um, seniors in Dallas. Do you know if any other major metropolitan areas do they have data, or have, have you had a chance to even study that? Houston, I, I believe Houston does, and I know that there are several cities in California that do. Um, Seattle, Washington, which I'm going to be going to Seattle um, in a couple of months, and I'm going to be talking to some people there. Chicago is a big one, and one I, I'd love to pattern what we're doing here after Chicago, because that's where I'm from. Um, the, the reason data is so important is because without it, we are invisible. And that's what they tell me over and over in the Senior Affairs Commission meetings, that if you don't have any data, then you don't exist. I looked up, I used the Google, and I found, uh, I don't even know whose statistics these were, but uh, according to one website, there's 1.5 million LGBT, LGB people in the U.S., 1.5 million. That's and it? That's very no. low. That's, that's got to be low. It doesn't include the T. Even still, with, it seems it is still very low. Um, and in Dallas, Tarrant, Collin, and Denton County, the number they gave was 194,451 LGB seniors, 
which seems awfully exact. Um, you know, I, I want to give an explanation here. When and I volunteered at a different enough different organizations that I know how it works. Okay, when you use something, some service, like I volunteered for several years at Resource Center, so I'll use that one for example. And I started their Great Pride, and when we had people come in like for our prom or for like our, um, our monthly dances or whatever, you sign, right? Mm -hmm. You sign in. So they use those numbers and that's what they use in order to get funding. They, they try very hard not to make, sh they try very hard to make sure they're not duplicating names or anything like that. So when you get figures like that, you're getting figures from people that have used programs or resources. That's not like going out in the community and surveying how many do you identify as gay? Do you identify as a lesbian? Do you identify as trans? That's something totally different. Now some organizations like Coalition for Aging, which side I was on the board till they kicked me off, but um, they do a four county area and in addressing issues for Dallas we need figures for Dallas we can try to use a national uh, figure but uh, I'm afraid that when I we do that they're gonna come back at me the same way they are saying that doesn't apply here because how do we know you have that many gay people here. We have to start surveying and we have to, all these organizations have to start working with each other, which is why we need an LGBTQ senior liaison in the city of Dallas to act as a liaison between city council and the LGBTQ community, especially the senior community. We need to take a break. We're talking to Portia Cantrell and Marion Hayes about LGBT senior issues. We'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this quick break. This is Raphael McDonald from Resource Center Dallas. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with Laron Landis and the late Patty Fink. We're talking to Portia and Marion about a variety of senior issues. Um, I, I know one of the issues you brought up at the beginning of the show. Um, you're just you're still recovering from a recent procedure, and luckily your wife just happens to be in the medical field. So you have somebody there not only watching over you the entire time, but someone who knows what they're doing, knows what to expect, would know, knows how you should be treated, and knows Porsche's a lunatic. <laughs> but you know what? She has a doctorate. She does, but not everybody is in that situation. And so um, when you go to the doctor, go to the, um, especially if you need to stay overnight at the hospital, <clears throat> some people might even be reluctant to <coughs> say, I have a husband or I have a wife or just a uh, same-sex spouse. Um, and that can really affect your care. It, it affected my care somewhat this last time because as everybody knows, or everybody that knows me knows, I have a lucky rainbow cap. 
and I insisted on wearing my rainbow cap. Before I went into surgery, during surgery, while I'm in my hospital bed, everywhere. So anyway, um, some of the nurses did not want to bring me pain medication or come when I put the call light on. And they had no idea that my wife was a nurse. They had no idea I had, my background is in nursing. All they saw when they came in that room at the beginning of a shift was this lesbian, for lack of, I, I, I changed what I was gonna say, um, with this rainbow cap. So that meant I was gay, so that meant, oh, she doesn't deserve special attention. This came to a head. Not special attention. I mean, regular, regular just attention. Regular attention. attention. Right. So it came to a head when I had been asking, they had disconnected my PCA pump, and I had to ask for pain medication. And three hours went by, and trying to be nice. Oh, three hours is excruciating. Three hours, and I had major surgery. Three hours, I was trying to get pain medication. And finally, Tanya had enough, and Tanya worked, my, Tanya's my wife, and she works with um, some GI doctors, and you know, so she was steaming, and I'm still trying to be the good patient. But finally, even I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I hadn't even been up out of bed. I got up on that walker, and I went out to the nurse's station, and they told me that the nurse was busy, so you know, I was crying. I was really upset. Eventually, the nurse came in, and she came in at the same time as my doctor. And believe you me, between me and my wife, we ripped her a new one. Good and for you. Good using for you. the example, if this was your mother in this bed after surgery, and the doctor was just standing there because he was dumbfounded that this had happened. And see, if a doctor doesn't see it, I have found they don't believe it because they refuse. I've been this, had this happen before. They refuse to acknowledge that people that work in healthcare will treat you based on their own beliefs. Right. So, long story short, when my doctor was discharging me a couple of weeks ago, he said he would be honored if I would. And I'm not going to mention his name now. I post about it. But he would be honored if I would let my friends know that he is learning about the LGBT community. And he is going to do his best to make sure that things like that do not happen again. Hmm. And it's amazing to me to hear the horror stories. Um, and it's not just just out lesbians or or gay people, trans people have an enormous hill to climb in educating their care providers mm -hmm. about their needs and, um, and, and oftentimes have to teach somebody how to treat someone with respect and dignity, right. which I think is sad. Um, but there's, there's racism, that, that the intersectionality of lots of different um, you know, components of who you might be. And um, and healthcare is not immune to any any of those things. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's a frightening kind of world, and you you layer on top of that um, the kind of 
bias and animus that we experience. You know, during and, the- and I just fear it's going to get worse with all this legislation. I think we're going to get to a place where people who had been open-minded and open-eared about learning about our issues are going to categorically kind of shut down about us. And, the, and the, shows like this do a lot because we're afraid to tell our stories. And I'm not going to say these, this couple's name because it's their story to tell, but I'm going to tell the story, okay? So a couple that I love and respect highly, they're a bit older than me. So one of them wound up in rehab for some reason and was really upset and depressed because she felt she was not getting the attention she should have gotten. And in addition, she felt she was being shunned by some of the other people in the rehab center. Now, we get ashamed to tell those stories because we feel like we should be strong enough to deal with it. But it's not about being strong enough to deal with it. It's by calling a spade a spade and speaking out because nothing's going to change as long as we're the good little people who know their place. Right. You're you know, absolutely right, Portia. During the height of the AIDS crisis, uh, one of the local hospitals that I won't mention, but it begins with a B, um, what they did was they they had lots of nurses who didn't want to care for people with HIV, with AIDS. Uh, and so they took all their n- lesbian nurses, the ones that they knew were lesbian, transferred them to the AIDS floor. As you know, punishment, those guys who were on the AIDS floor a- at this hospital that begins with a B um, got the best care. Yes. Same thing happened at Illinois Masonic where I was working. I was an out gay nurse and anytime, and I worked in the ER, anytime a gay patient or somebody who looked like they might have been gay, and we, we, the hospital was located in the neighborhood. So just imagine how many people came <laughs> through that ER. I got them and they got the best darn care ever. And then when we had to work overtime, I was transferred to the AIDS unit. And I didn't mind. I loved it because I knew if they were my patient, I was going to treat them with respect. And I was going to treat them the way I wanted to be treated if I was a patient. So yes, we, we had to do that back then. And you know, I just feel sometimes it's a shame that a lot of the gay men don't remember how the gay women went to bat for them during that time. We lost a whole generation. We did lose a lot. We did. And we're talking about all these different um, scenarios, and most of them probably were young people. Add on senior issue on top of that, it makes it all the more... Uh, a bigger hurdle to climb. If you're in a hospital by yourself, you're elderly, you're weak, you're probably not even thinking that right straight, or uh, you're fuzzy because you're still heavily medicated. Mm-hmm. You need somebody there to advocate for you. And I do that a lot. We, uh, what's his name? He called me from the emergency room. I was on my way to somewhere, 
and he a friend of mine called me from the emergency room and he had been waiting like almost two hours to see a physician and he was telling them that his jaw was hurting so they put down he had a toothache so he's sitting there in the emergency room and he calls me and I'm like thinking this man is having a heart attack that's a, it's a classic sign of a heart attack classic classic and I turned around and it, what's the name of the hospital uh, it's changed names a couple of times. What is it? It was like it doctors. Used to be doctors. It's yeah. something yeah. like that. I don't know what it is today. No, That's over by me. Yeah. yeah. That man was sitting there infarcting right then. And I wound up spending the night there at the hospital with him and the entire next day to make sure that he was going to be looked after. Right now, we have a thing where so many people who need their colonoscopies colonoscopies and procedures where you have to have anesthesia you can't use uber you can't take a taxi so if you give me a call i'll take you marion can take uber with you she can drive but you know um no, she can no, take she uber <laughs> with you and sit there with you so that you don't have to delay your procedure because having your colonoscopy is the best way to find out if you have colon cancer so you know we don't have family but we have family right, right. and we are all family and we have to look out for each other it's not just some of the medical uh, procedures like colonoscopies it can also be dental surgery I've been through that mm -hmm. you have to have someone there I have a friend in another state that was scheduled for a dental surgery a week ago. They were ready to go, and the person that was driving him ended up in the ER themselves, and they had to cancel the whole surgery and reschedule it for next week. I mean, anything where they knock you out, the lawyers are going to say, no, we have to have someone there, and they have to drive them home. This is something uh, that is very important, that there should be people uh, that could go with them because maybe even their families work or they, uh, it's inconvenient for someone to take them. But if you're put under anesthetic, you have to have mm -hmm. someone there and they usually want them to stay there and wait there. Yes. Even if you went in a taxi with them and came home, Uber or whatever. But I know for a fact that some people have showed up over there for colonoscopies, and they didn't know that. They came in an Uber. Well, guess what? They canceled it right there. They couldn't do the procedure after they went through all the, the cleansing. Oh, that's... That, they had to reschedule. That's just mean. That, that happens. Because we're wow. friends with the doctor. We know. Wow. That one's boring you all. You know, one of the other health issues that... Um, we've been talking about, especially in relation to our trans brothers and sisters, is mental health issues uh, because of stress related to discrimination and stress related to the hatred that's going on. We are, we, we isolated during the pandemic. And now that the pandemic is over, we're still self-isolating because you bring up our trans sisters and brothers. Yeah, even within our community, there are so many of us as lesbians or as gay men that 
that refuse to acknowledge that the trans individuals are our family and we have to support them. They have supported us and even if they didn't, so what? Because we are family. Mm -hmm. So anyway, getting back to the depression and all of that, yes, and we need providers and therapists that will be able to treat even with talk therapy or medication or whatever that will be able to treat them and help them and help us so depression's a big issue i mean i'm not gonna lie i'm on antidepressants because otherwise i wouldn't be able to function stuff is so heavy on my on my head and on my soul sometimes so yeah it's a it's a real thing so are um is the silver pride project do they still meet up we have not we're not physically meeting at this time because of my health issues which is another reason that i feel the city should take on some of this responsibility because if we had a senior center then the city would be responsible for hiring and staffing and i could be involved or not involved as much or as little as my health and my my other interests allow me to be and the rec centers do have staffs rec centers have staff but let me tell you it's the the rec center is like one or two hours a day that's designated for seniors and just like uh, another organization that had um a senior um component to it that you might have you might have had like four hours allotted to you once a week but then it gets knocked down to like 90 minutes because they want to make sure that you have time and space for youth because money is face it the money and the funding is for the youth it's for the young mm -hmm. and we don't matter but that needs to change and with everybody listening here today, now, if you help, if you speak out, it will change. Write your councilman, text your councilman, get on social media, say LGBT seniors matter, and you refuse to be invisible. And I know I didn't plan to say that, but it's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. We elect people, and if they don't represent us, then we'll elect somebody who does. Now, I think those are words that need to be said and said often. Um, so I hope if you're listening and you're, you're um, interested and you realize maybe you two will be a senior one day, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Um, that this really does matter. Does. There was a big article in the Washington Post just this past week about the, the number of seniors who are entering homeless shelters. Mm -hmm. um, who um, are, are unhoused and they have needs beyond what many shelters are capable of delivering. And the, it, it's not just an explosion of need within the LGBT senior world, it's a lot of seniors um, across the country, LGBTQ and straight and cisgender. And um, it, we have some needs that are unique to our community that I, that I think should come first uh, because of the, 
the barrier that that is unique to our community in terms of you know degaying being fearful of of inferior service yes um, of being uh, feeling threatened in our terms of our lives and our very safety um, so I, I think it's really really important for us to dive in and, and do our part no matter what our age is today because hopefully tomorrow and beyond you know you you can't not get older even regardless of what David says Right, and, right. And I want to thank Portia and Marion for being with us. Come back thank again. Thank you all very much. I, and our guest next week is uh, the Beverly Hills Shrink.